what exactly is Christian Zionism and why should you be concerned about it? Next up on this episode of the Kingdom Project Podcast. Whoa, welcome to a new episode. Uh, Thanks for tuning in or uh, subscribing or streaming or doing whatever it is that you do. Thank you. And uh, welcome to the Kingdom Project Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Hall. (laughs) And uh, before I get started, uh, check out the links in the description. You can check us out on Facebook. Um, you can check me out on Instagram. You can hit the link to PayPal and give money to me if you'd like. It's almost that time of the year where I have to renew my subscription for the RSS feed. I don't make money off the podcast. Um, I pay money to make the podcast. So um, I've always... Just put it out there online and then on the podcast that if people would like to give, they can give if uh, if they want to. And people have given and that helps pay for uh, to be on the air. It helps pay uh, for all, all of that stuff. It's I'm not going to get into all the technicalities of it. It just helps pay for it. I don't make money, like I said, extra money then... Um, if the RSS feed and the publication and all that stuff's taken care of, it goes to advertising on social media, like on Facebook ads or Instagram ads and uh, all that good stuff. So people have given in the past. I thank you. And if you want to give for this next year coming up of episodes, feel free to. And like I said, the the link, the PayPal is in the description of every episode. All right. Now that we have that out of the way. I thought we could talk about Christian Zionism. And the reason why is because I've mentioned it um, always in passing in episodes. I've always talked a little bit about it and how it falls into uh, eschatology and things like that. But it it's more than just eschatology, all right? Because it's actually theological when it gets into Christian Zionism, okay? Zionism itself is a political movement, all right? And that political movement is built on the belief that Jewish people deserve by right to possess the land of Palestine, uh, right, as their own. Then you add Christian Zionism, okay? It's a mixture. It's, It's a theological slash political movement that embraces the extreme uh, ideological positions of Zionism, okay? So it has great effects. Therefore, you should be concerned. (laughs) People who aren't even Zionists, you know, or don't know the word Zionism or Zionist are Zionists because they've picked up so much stuff from people like John Hagee and stuff, okay? So um, these people believe that God will restore Israel's uh their their ancient okay their the old testament the old mosaic um covenant fortunes as a nation in the promised land okay so with this all right the claim is then also that Jesus will rule from the the actual city of Jerusalem and the Jewish Jewish people will believe in him then, right? So they see the modern state of Israel as the equivalent 
to the biblical Israel and that they're one and the same. It's never changed, okay? Therefore, it's the they are the forerunner of the return or the second coming of Jesus, okay? Now, um there there are there was a American journalist that said she had learned by experience what her church had taught her about Israel was a myth and she summarized the message of the Christian Zionist like this she said that uh everyone everyone um or every act sorry every act taken by israel is orchestrated by god and should be condoned supported and even praised by the rest of us never mind what israel does god wants us to support them no matter what all right so <laughs> um the pew the pew research center put um, there's a, a 63% of evangelicals then are somewhat swayed by, by this and believe that it is an obligation. It's a biblical obligation or responsibility to support the nation of Israel. And uh, so it doesn't matter if it's an evangelicalism or the charismatic or independent or non-denominations, whatever. It's usually there. All right, so most of them, it comes from also dispensationalism. They are convinced that the founding of that state of Israel in 1948 uh, was fulfillment of, God pro of God's promises that was made to Abraham, that he would establish Israel as a Jewish nation forever in Pal Palestine. And so today we would have, like I said, um, John Hagee, right? Uh, <laughs> guys like that, okay? Um in, in he he said one time uh, for uh, almost 26 years now I've been pounding the evangelical community over television. The Bible is a very pro-Israel book. If a Christian admits I believe the Bible, I can make him a pro-Israel supporter or they will have to denounce their faith. So I have the Christians over a barrel, you might say. Wow. <laughs> okay, he's he's... He also formed the Christians United for Israel. Um, it's a national association through which every pro-Israel church, ministry, or individual in America can speak and, and act with one voice in support of Israel in matters related to biblical issues, is what he says. So, anyway, um, it, it's an uncritical tolerance of rabbinic Judaism. All right. It's also an endorsement of the Israeli political right, while at the same time it then demonstrates and this inexcusable lack of compassion for um, just all the Christian community in Israel and Palestine and all the other stuff that goes on. Okay, so um, within the the world of the the Christian Zionists, then. They view that uh, the Palestinians are alien residents in Israel, okay? Stuff like that. Um, this is not to say this is pro or anti this group or that group or anything like that. What, what I want to show is biblical <laughs> support or support for what I'm trying to put forward, which is to say you're not obligated, okay? There's nothing wrong with praying, uh, for all nations or a particular nation. 
Okay. Um, and it's very hard when you're talking about Jews enter the same way as Christians do today or, or a Gentile does today. And when you make these cases, like Paul made the case in Galatians 4 that the, my last sermon was on, because people will say that's anti-Semitic. Well, it's not anti-Semitic. I'm not saying I don't like Jews. I'm not saying that. Paul's not saying that either. Um, God was not saying he's anti-Jew either. He was saying the covenant is a new covenant now through Jesus in which everyone is welcomed. Okay, so now that I got that out of the way, um, then we have to ask, where does where does it come from? Why does everybody fall into this? Um, where do we get this idea that we are to stand in support of Israel no matter what, and that this country definitely has to support Israel no matter what? As long as we're doing that, we'll be a blessed country and all this type of stuff, right? Um, well, um, you have to ask these questions, all right? You have to. I was faced with this question when I was in school, along with eschatology, but there were so many people in my classroom that was saying, yes, we have to support Israel. Um, Israel is number one. They're still God's chosen nation. And I was just like, uh, what? And I didn't know as much as I know now, but I was like, I don't understand this. I don't get this. Like why? Like if they're the chosen nation, wouldn't they be Christian? You know what I mean? Like you have to ask questions. All right. You have to ask, why are we doing this? It's okay to ask. You don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to be aggressive about it. But we should ask questions on anything. Just ask. If you don't understand or you don't see it and you want to see the biblical support for it, ask the questions. All right. Now, that being said, some people are so knowledgeable in this uh, this ideology that they're going to be able to make a biblical case for it that's when you're going to have to understand how to interpret the bible and know um, how to rightly divide it and know what is law and what is gospel and how to fill in the holes and, and go no, no 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 what about this okay so we know the bible especially in the old testament is filled with all these promises that god made to israel right they were uniquely chosen by god to be blessed and to be a source of blessing to the whole world. And we can see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and 6 and 8. It says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the Sorry, in number, in more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay. So it was to Israel that God revealed himself and also to them, they receive messianic promises, okay? Um, so, then, to mess with that nation, you messed with God, okay? Because they were in covenant, all right? Uh, Zechariah 2, 8. 
It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, After glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Right? So we have the, the apple of his eye. This is Israel. But that's Zechariah. Okay? Now they are also... they. And, and like I said, you mess, you mess with them, then God's got their back. Okay, this is per the agreement, per the covenant. All right, uh, Amos three, one and two. Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which He brought up from the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, chosen here is no. Okay, so that's that's intimacy. So God knows all of them, right? He knows everybody. He knew everybody at that point in the world, obviously. He's God. But he knew Israel in a special way. They had a privileged position, all right? The privilege came with responsibility, all right? So if we look at the last part, um, of what I just read, there's something that the Zionists miss because he said, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Israel, we know, became proud. They missed the true end of all that they had, all right? And which was the coming of the Messiah to atone for their sins, all right? So there's two biblical truths that the Christian Zionists don't seem to see or realize. That one, because of Israel's disobedience, um, God was ended up being finished with the nation of Israel. And two, they don't understand who biblical Israel actually is because there's the physical material Israel and then there's the, the spiritual. All right. There's the type and shadow and then the substance, which is better. All right. So Paul refers to the loss of privilege in the first couple of verses Romans 9, all right? And this is where he's expressing a sorrow over um, his countrymen and his readiness to suffer for them. Romans 9, 3, it says, "For, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my my kinsmen, according to the flesh, okay? Paul's implying uh, by this that they were no longer the people of God, uh, of God. Right, Paul saying that Israel was no longer blessed; they're now actually cursed. He says he wished uh, cursed then. All right, keep it in biblical framework. He says he wished he could take that curse for them. So, if God's chosen people were cursed, uh, does that mean God went back on his promises? Right? Did he like has he rejected his chosen people? Was Israel really cursed, or is Paul just bitter? Or all this stuff, right? That's going on. Now we'll we'll look at what Jesus said to the nation of Israel, Matthew twenty one eighteen nineteen. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a uh, this fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered right now the fig tree is used here as a figure a figure for the the nation israel 
All right. Throughout all of their history, God constantly hungered for his people to bring forth fruit. All right. The gospel writer spoke of the physical hunger of Jesus as a symbolic uh, way of of um, showing God's hunger for fruit from his people. And Jesus pronounces this curse on Israel because of their failure to bring forth fruit and because ultimately their rejection of him. And there's so many of his parables, Jesus's parables that referred to Israel's rejection and also the, the coming destruction that would happen in 70 AD. Um, still in Matthew 21, verse 33, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted uh, a planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built the tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. I just preached on this recently. Okay, who who is the vineyard? You know, you look at Isaiah five um, and read that. It's clear that the vineyard is Israel. Uh, Israel is is God's um, is God's vineyard. Keep that in mind as you go. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce, right? Produce or fruit, what's God looking for, all right? According to, to 5, 7 of Isaiah, it was justice and righteousness, all right? And in, in biblical usage, righteousness is rooted in covenants and relationships, all right? So righteousness is the fulfillment of the terms of a covenant between God and and Israel, humanity, or between humans and the full range of human relationships. There's several covenants in the Old Testament between people groups as well. All right, so the one who in faith gives himself to the doing of God's will is righteous. Um, and then he goes on to say that he prophesies what the Jews are going to do him, do to him. They're going to kill him right um and then what then it goes on to say what's what's going to end up happening right um hey what when the owner comes what will he do and they answered and they say they're going to bring those wretches to a wretched end all right so jesus tells them clearly that because of the the rejection of him the kingdom of god's going to be taken from them all right, we see this um, in 22.7 of Matthew. It says, but the king was enraged. He sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. And again, it's, speak, again, it's speaking of Israel. <clears throat> My voice is a little trashed. I've been I'm recovering from a cold. All right, so we have these parables and, the, and they're teaching Israel lost its privileged position. All right, so the question is, has 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 God's plan plan changed? All right, is Israel's rejection as a nation um, going back on His word, or has God broken His promises? Right, and there's conclusions to be drawn there. Either the gospel that Paul is preaching is false, or um, if it's true, the promises of God to Israel failed. And that's when we get in the problems here, right? The Messiah, the Messiah and blessing to Israel were 
connected. There's no separating the two. The Jews would say either Jesus is not the true Messiah, he cursed and rejected God's people, or the word of God has proven false. All right, So God's justice and righteousness is being called into question. And I think that's why so many people have problems with this, okay? And it's a, it's okay to ask today, right? Now, obviously, if God broke his promise to Israel, then what assurance do we have <laughs> when it comes to everything else that we know, okay? But like I said, there's biblical truth that the Zionists don't see. That because of Israel's disobedience, that covenant came to an end and the curses were were divvied out onto them as you read in Deuteronomy and Revelation. And that we want to look at the fact that they don't understand who Israel is. So in Romans 9, 6, Paul shows his readers, okay, the first century Roman believers and for us today, that Israel's rejection is not inconsistent with the promises of God. So to say that the nation is accursed is not to say that God's promises failed or, or that he, he, he failed in his words. No. Okay. So it, Romans 9, 6. But it, it is not as though the word of God has failed. There you go. Okay. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Now, I've talked about who is true Israel before and probably early episodes real real early or there are two people uh two people groups of god is one of the first ep- first 10 episodes somewhere in there all right so um in other words it's the word of god has not stumbled stumbled in a similar way as israel has when she rejected her messiah all right now the complete jewish bible puts Romans 9, 6 like this, but the present condition of Israel does not mean that the word of God has failed for not everyone from Israel is truly part of Israel. All right. Now the word of God means anything which God has spoken. Okay. So it should be understood in a, in a more specific sense. All right. It is the word of promise in the covenants um, that was alluded to in verse 9. All right. It refers to the great promises God had made to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob, um, conferring blessing upon their seed. Okay. Seed, not seeds, seed. And the, the phrase has failed. All right. Means to be without effect. Paul uses this several times. Um, he uses it in Acts 27 in regard to his, his voyage. It's used of, uh, a sailing vessel getting off the course that it was t- intended to have. Um, so it, in other words, it's like this, it's not as if the promises of God have gone off course. It's not so. So if God's promises haven't gone off course, then how can Israel be accursed when God made so many promises to them. Because there's so many people that say there's still all these promises that haven't been um, fulfilled yet to Israel. And Jim Baker says it all, all the time. Well, so Paul's going to go on because Romans 9, 10, 11 is a big deal for the Zionists because all Israel will be saved. 
I've gone over this before in a, in episodes. Okay, so Paul's going to teach us that God's promises have not failed, um, but they were misunderstood. Okay, so <laughs> um, he says, all right, it's the word of God has not failed. All right, so Paul Paul is saying you've misunderstood. Not all of Israel who descend from Israel are Israel. All right. We have to read that and understand it, okay? Uh, this verse is the key to understanding Israel then and the promises of God, all right? So who or what is Israel? What does the term Israel mean, all right? Israel um, is comes from two words, Sarah meaning fight or struggle or rule, and El, E-L, meaning mighty one, God, all right? Now some... Some have taken the name of Israel to mean he who struggles with God or he who rules with God. And But in Hebrew names, sometimes God isn't the object of the verb, okay, but the subject, okay? So like Daniel means God judges, not he judges God, okay? So Israel means God rules. Um, so the first use of the term Israel in Scripture is found in Genesis 32, Verse 28, where it says, He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. All right. So the name Israel is not first given to the nation. Okay. It's given to an individual, Jacob. Jacob was a type of Christ, um, being, being for a time the head of the covenant. And as an individual with the name Israel, he then typifies the Redeemer who is going to be the true Israel. All right. So Jacob is called Israel. Jacob marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel. And with these two women, their, their, um, their maids uh, came 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. This is in Ruth 4.11. And the people who were in the court and the elder said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in that city there. <laughs> Ephrath, no, Ephratha, and become famous in Bethlehem. All right. So Jacob's 12 sons are called the house of Israel, which means that it refers to the 12 tribes, which is then the nation Israel. So Israel, and Jacob's sons, they were delivered from this Egyptian bondage. And they became a nation at Sinai when God gave them his law and then entered into covenant with them. All right. They were now called the house of Israel. This is in Exodus 40, 38, for throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Okay, so after the nation split, the 10 northern tribes were called the house of Israel, and the southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, they were known as Judah. All right, now that's not a big deal in our discussion here, but we're just 
laying it out. Okay. So Israel is a term first given to Jacob. Then the sons were called sons of Israel and later the house of Israel. So the term Israel came to be used of the nation that God called out of Egypt. Okay. Now, that's what most Christians think when they hear the term Israel. Okay. This is usually all they think of a national physical Israel. But Paul tells us there are two Israels, right? For they are not all Israel who descend from Israel. All right. So we know that one of these Israels is national physical Israel. That would be Jacob's sons. All right. So who's the other Israel? And that's when disagreements start. Okay. So we have the physical who descended from Jacob. And then we have true Israel, right? So physical Israel and true Israel. Paul is saying that God's promises have not failed because God never promised unconditionally to each and every individual offspring of Abraham covenant blessings. God never intended that all of the nation Israel would be redeemed. Okay, so within national Israel is true or spiritual Israel. So one could be an Israelite without truly being an Israelite. The promises were to true or spiritual Israel, not physical national Israel. All right. So true Israel or spiritual is the church, right? Because what is the church? It's the body of Christ. All right. Jesus is the actual true Israel. So it's in him, in him alone, that the promises of God are fulfilled, right? So you could say they are not all in Christ who are physical descendants of Jacob, all right? So how do you say that Jesus is true Israel? I've gone over this before, but Israel's prophets (laughs) is... National physical Israel, uh, Israel's prophets, they anticipated a time when Israel would be restored to its former, uh, former greatness. All right. Isaiah 41, 8 and 9. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its rem- remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. All right. It's a messianic passage here. Israel is the servant. The same promise is in the next chapter in Isaiah 42, 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Again, this is messianic. All right. Messiah, the servant is portrayed as one who acts in God's name to bring him glory and to deliver his people and be a light to the Gentiles. Next verse, Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Go on to... uh, Chapter 49, 6, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to 
raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. All right. So this is showing us that the servant Israel will bring national Israel back to God and also extending God's salvation to the ends of the earth. All right. Now, notice what the disciples ask Jesus in Acts 1, 6. He said, when they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? All right. Disciples saw Christ as the servant, the true Israel. All right. Now, dispensationalists, they they give, all right, when it comes to the literal interpretation, literal hermeneutics, all right, they are bound to interpret these passages in the Old Testament literally. So they assign the fulfillment of these prophecies of Isaiah to a future earthly millennial um, millennium in which physical national Israel coexists with Gentiles under the reign of the Davidic king. All right. But all you have to do is ask, is that how the New Testament interprets these prophecies regarding the servant of the Lord? All right. Because the gospel writers interpret these prophecies from Isaiah as fulfilled in the mission of in ministry of Jesus. Matthew 12, 15 and 18 says, But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all, and he warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles." So Matthew quotes Isaiah 42.1, and he tells us Jesus fulfilled this. He's He has fulfilled what had been spoken in Isaiah about the servant, right? So the servant of God is not physical national Israel. It's Jesus, <laughs> all right? Um, in Acts 3.13, Luke speaks of Jesus as the servant, all right, um, as well. So um, we'll, look, we'll look at, let's look at a text that, re, that does refer to physical national Israel, okay? Hosea 11.1, 1. when Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. All right, well, see, when we study this text in context of that entire book, we find it's referring to the exodus of Egypt of Jacob's sons. But in Matthew 2.15, Matthew tells us that Hosea's prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus' parents took him to Egypt to protect him from Herod's slaughter of all uh, the male babies, right? Matthew 2. 14 and 15, and he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and, and was there until the death of Herod. Uh, that, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled saying out of Egypt, did I call my son? So 
what do we do? The, you know, th- this is the interpretive lens. The Holy Spirit is illuminating Scripture now to those who are writing New Testament texts. So Matthew takes a passage from Hosea, which clearly seems to refer to the nation of Israel. And it would have meant that to all those before Jesus's time. And Matthew tells his readers that the passage passage is actually now fulfilled in Christ. And he does this to prove to, all right, Matthew is a, a Jewish book. So he's proving to his Jewish audience that Jesus is the servant of God that's foretold, prophesied throughout the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah, that Jesus is true Israel. He is the true seed of Abraham. And that's the whole point that Paul makes in uh, in Galatians as well. When he says in Galatians 3.16, remember I said, singular seed it says now the promises were spoken to abraham and to his seed he does not say and to seeds as referring to many but rather to one and to your seed that is christ all right so in isaiah 41 the servant is called the descendant of abraham and paul says it's not referring to many but one, because it's descendant, not descendants. Christians are Abraham's seed because they're heirs to the promises only because uh, um, by faith. And because of that, we are united to Christ, who alone is the true Israel, right? Abraham's one seed. It's Jesus, right? In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So we all inherit the promises made to Abraham Abraham, through Christ and being placed in Christ in his body that makes us true Israel as well, right? So everything that we are and that we have as Christians is by virtue of our union with Jesus which is because of faith. It just comes by faith alone and grace alone, okay? The Abrahamic covenant was a promise made to Abraham and to Jesus, the seed of Abraham, that he would be made great. He would be the father of many nations and that in him all all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that is fulfilled spiritually, ultimately in Jesus, all right? Um, in, in Exodus, Israel is called God's son. Um, Exodus 4.22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn, right? Then Paul calls Jesus God's firstborn. When he says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Colossians 1.15. So by calling Jesus the Son, Paul now assigns to Jesus the designation for Israel as God's Son, therefore making Jesus the true Israel. And since Jesus is God's true Son, the membership in the people of God depends on being rightly related to Jesus. So apart from a relationship to Jesus, you cannot be a a true Israelite, right? Um, 
Psalms 88, it says, you removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. All right. The psalmist calls Egypt God's vine. Israel is the vine, right? And we, we see in Saul in Isaiah 5, but um, we, we should know by now. We should know, though, what Jesus called himself in John 15. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So again, right? He's the true Israel. It's only in him are the promises of God are fulfilled. For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 So Jesus, as the true Israel, he received the promises of God that were passed down from the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the second and the last Adam, obeying in every place where the first Adam had failed to obey. He was, uh, as true Israel, obeying where old covenant Israel failed to obey. And we see this in his temptation in the wilderness. And we see where national Israel failed. Christ obeyed in every way that Israel proved to be the unrighteous son. Jesus proved that he was the righteous son. So when, when Paul preached, um, or what Paul preached doesn't speak against the promises of God. Israel is God's people by faith, and all who believe in Christ receive the promises that God made to Israel. The church, all believers that are Christians that who have trusted Christ are the Israel of God. It, it, believers are actually true Jews. Okay, Galatians 6, 15 and 16, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Who is that? Right? To understand that God keeps his covenant promises, then you have to understand that not all Israel is really Israel. Right? <laughs> Isaiah 10, 22. For though your people, O Israel, may be like the sand of the sea, only a remnant within them will return. A destruction is determined, overflowing with righteousness. There's always been a remnant, all right? And the remnant of all of Israel will be saved from Romans 9, 10, 11. That remnant was those who escaped the destruction, all right? Because the promises are not to all Israel, but only to a remnant. Um, if Jesus is the true Israel of God, and if the New Testament writers apply to Jesus all those prophecies referring to Israel as God's son and servant, then what does this understanding do then to the dispensationalist and the Zionist? The people who believe that the nation of Israel is still actually God's chosen people. They believe they are the sole inheritors of God's promises, and that to be a part of Israel, one must be be of the proper lineage or nationality, right? So they, they believe national Jews deserve by right the land of, of Palestine as their own, all right? Modern unbelieving Jews, um, they, they have no theological, uh, modern unbelieving Jews have absolutely no theological, his, historical legal right to the land of Palestine, Modern-day Judaism believe they do, but 
they think, you know, not Christians, Judaism or Christian uh, Jews, modern day Judaism. All right. Um, it's a cult just like other, any other false religion is because they reject Jesus. Uh, so therefore they're under the, that curse in which Jesus pronounced. So Christian Zionism is, is false. <laughs> um, they did anything that denies the sun, um, is wrong. It's blasphemy and is, is a cult. So unless the Jews turn to Jesus in faith alone, all right, then they're under that curse of God because there was old covenant. Um, God, God is faithful. God is just. We know this. He makes promises. Um, he's going to uphold those. All right. But we have to make sure that we understand the word uh, and not misinterpret it. God's word didn't fail. It, it never has. All right. Um, so uh, we need to, to know, therefore, the Lord, your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his love, loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 7, 9. That was in that. He kept his, his promises. All right. So um, he, he's the covenant keeping God. It was the covenant breakers that got removed and got the curses. And then the new covenant was established through Jesus because Jesus comes and reenacts everything, reenacts Adam, reenacts Israel. He is the true Israel. So not, you know, not all Israel is of national physical Israel. There is the spiritual Israel. We had a type and shadow, and then we had the substance. The one that everything was typified. Christ came and fulfilled all of this. All right. So none of this is anti-Semitic. None of it is anti anything. It Well, it's anti Zion, <laughs> Zionism that should be rejected. Um, I don't have anything against people if they, if they have a flag or anything of Israel or anything like that. But just know that you're not obligated. There is no commandment in there. That is still not the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye are all those who are in his son, true Israel, Jesus, the church, all those who believe by faith alone, through grace alone. That is Israel. All right, there's another episode. Do you have any questions, uh, comments, or disagreements? Feel free to send them my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, thank you so much for listening. Be a mustard seed, be 11.